Hello and welcome to the Low Carb Lifestyle Hub. I'm Linda, I live in Perth and I'm really, really pleased that you've taken the time this weekend to start on your journey, to start discovering what a low carb lifestyle can do for you. It's um, great that you've taken that time. I've been in the low, the low carb community for a fair while now and have had my own journey um, recovering from a fairly chronic disease um, and having that disease led me on the pathway of trying to find out why this had happened to me and, and the pathway of course led me to studying more about nutrition than I ever believed I would and I am thankful today that I can share my views and my understanding and perhaps you can take some information home and use it in your own situation. The parenting years are amazing. Mothering and fathering is such a special gift and it was the best time of my life. I absolutely loved being a mum and I've got four grown children and six little, little people now in my life that I adore. So enjoy the journey, learn lots about who you are, how you want to bring your children up and how you will set the scene for your future years uh, in health and wellness and mindset and all of those things. Today we'll talk about the history of gestational diabetes. I'll give you some facts and figures that are fairly mind-blowing. We'll discuss what gestational diabetes is, what the risks are, what is the deal about insulin, what does it do for you, what tests you might need to have to see if you have developed gestational diabetes, and we will touch on movement for pregnancy and what you should eat during pregnancy. So as you can see, the history of of diabetes generally is a long timeline and the original approach in in the pre-insulin era was to treat diabetic patients whether it was type 1, type 2 or gestational with a very low carb approach and this was effective back in the time. Um, probably the science we have now would have helped um, and then in the World War II era, the same, the same kind of treatment occurred for those, pe for those people. It was recognising that a low-carb diet definitely helped, but insulin came along and it was an easier pathway or more manageable for people with type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetic people also use insulin to some degree. In the 1960s, the GD or gestational diabetes phenotype was developed and um, there was a nutritional pathway and nutritional management that was set up for mothers even in that time. And in 1990, we began to screen more, the nutritional management became more effective and the risks to mothers and babies were reduced. Facts and figures about um, gestational diabetes. So gestational diabetes is the fastest growing type of diabetes in Australia. The number of women diagnosed annually is phenomenal and has doubled over the past decade. As you can see in 2019 almost 41,000 women were diagnosed with gestational diabetes and 8,000 of those were repeat diagnosis um, diagnosis of gestational diabetes. 34% of the women with GDM required insulin therapy and 9% of women with GDM were aged over 40 years. I can't even ha imagine having a baby at 40 years, but I guess now it's becoming more common. 
Over the decade, more than 500,000 Australian women are expected to develop gestational diabetes, and those figures are taken from Diabetes Australia. So the facts and figures worldwide, according to the International Diabetes Federation in 2019, there was an estimated 223 million women living with diabetes, and it's projected to increase to 343 million by 2045. So that's incorporating type 1, type 2, and uh, gestational diabetes. It's, they're huge numbers, 20 million or 16% of life live births had some form of hyperglycemia in pregnancy. That's a higher than the normal uh, blood sugar level. And an estimated 84% were due to gestational diabetes. One in six births was affected by gestational diabetes. And the vast majority of hyperglycemia in pregnancy were in low and middle class countries where access to maternal care is often limited. So the numbers are huge. And they're getting worse, the same as you would have heard over the weekend, type 2 diabetes is, uh, is progressing in huge numbers. It's ridiculous. So what exactly is gestational diabetes? So gestational diabetes is generally diagnosed during the later part of your pregnancy. And technically, it means that you have got too much sugar in your blood. There's many ways that they test for this, and we'll talk about those later. But the jury is out whether or not later in pregnancy is the best time to test for um, the presence of gestational diabetes or the likelihood of developing it in your pregnancy. Blood sugar versus blood glucose, they're the same things, but people often confuse them. When we think of blood sugar, we think of white table sugar or biscuits or cake. Glucose is the same thing, but sugar comes from all types of carbohydrates, whether it's white spread, whether it's um, crackers, rice cakes, um, refined foods, high sugar dairy drinks, they all turn to blood sugar or blood glucose in your blood. And that's, that's uh, just to differentiate between the two terms. Optimal blood sugar levels in pregnancy should be on fasting less than 5.1 millimoles, one hour post eating is uh, lower than 10 and two hours lower than 8.5. And I've taken that from a study done by Nankovis and Con in 2013. When should we test for diabetes? So in Australia, the Australasian Diabetes in Pregnancy Society is very interested in a term called overt diabetes. So they consider that we should be tested earlier in pregnancy because often women will have a higher than average blood glucose in the early pregnancy um, that isn't, isn't diagnosed and could be diagnosed um, if we consider the diabetes in pregnancy range. It could be diagnosed and it could stop the formation of gestational diabetes or the progress to gestational diabetes in the future. Obviously, it takes a lot of medical attention or the clinicians are saying that testing at this early stage in pregnancy, I'm talking when you first have your blood tests in your pregnancy to test for iron count and rubella, um, rubella in your blood or rubella if you've had your rubella vaccination. They're saying that it's taking a lot of time and we should just refer on clinical judgment. So clinical judgment then refers to 
the risk factors for developing gestational diabetes later in your pregnancy. So it's things like higher than average blood sugar, it's your BMI, which we will talk about later, if you're carrying extra weight when you start your pregnancy, if you come from a low socioeconomic area or a, are of an ethnic status, then that's the clinical judgment that unfortunately puts you in uh, the position that you may develop gestational diabetes. So the primary aim of testing earlier in your pregnancy is to look at undiagnosed glucose intolerance. That's the benefits of testing early. Postpartum testing is also uh, of interest because if you've had gestational diabetes in your pregnancy, it doesn't mean that it goes away straight away. And it does mean that you're at a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes later in your life. So once the baby's born, if you can keep a check on your blood glucose levels, then you'll um, be way above the eight ball. And the confusion here lies because different countries, different labs, different doctors will use different ranges of, of a, a safe level of glucose in your blood. So it's going to become very confusing. The known risk factors for developing gestational diabetes is body weight. So we can talk about the BMI. The average BMI of 35 attracts some concern about the development of gestational diabetes. And 35 BMI is quite high when we consider that 25 is an average weight, is a healthy weight. But we must remember that the BMI uh, whole BMI scenario is a little bit controversial because it was developed by Lambert Adolf Jacques Quitlet. Quitlet. Lambert, Ram, sorry, I am reading this. Lambert Adolf Jacques Quitlet in the 1830s. In the 1830s, and Jacques was from, or Lambert was from Belgium, and he developed the BMI scale by using men, the average weight of men, so it didn't even include women. So here we are all worrying about the BMI um, scale and should we really? I think generally we should just use our common sense and know whether or not we have a higher risk of developing gestational diabetes just by our own body composition. Family history always plays a big part in the development of gestational diabetes too. So if you have a mum with type 2 diabetes or your dad or your family um, has people in it that have gestational diabetes in the past or type 2 diabetes now, then you're at a high risk. If you're 35 years and over, which doesn't seem very old, but sadly, I would give anything to be 35 these days. Sadly, 35 years is considered an older mum. So if you are that age, you're, you're considered at risk. Um, large babies are always the outcome of gestational diabetes because they're swimming in sugar while they're in utero and they grow larger. And it causes issues with birth because their shoulders become wide, they become bigger babies and um, Obviously, if you're wanting a nice, gentle, natural birth or an active natural birth, then you don't want your baby to grow bigger than it needs to be. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is another risk factor to developing gestational diabetes. And if you listen to Dr. Ben Bickman, you will see that he has a whole um, YouTube video on polycystic ovarian syndrome being linked to insulin resistance, as well as the social demographics 
of your culture, if you're uh, Asian or Hispanic or Mexican or Indigenous, you have a higher risk of developing gestational diabetes, which uh, needs to be looked after and washed, watched. So what is insulin? Insulin is a growth factor. It's an amazing hormone that we need, but it also causes problems in our body when we have too much sugar. So insulin is important for growth. It tells the body to grow. It's important for the growth of maternal uh, tissue in the pregnancy. It grows, it tells the uterus to grow. It tells your body to get ready for lactation. So it adds extra body fat where it's needed. Um, it tells the placenta to grow. It tells all the tissues that are involved in pregnancy to, to enlarge and grow. It helps your skin to stretch. It also is the director of the growth of the baby. So it tells the baby to grow as well. It is released from the pancreas and it affects every cell in the human body. It's an amazing, um, amazing hormone when you study it at a cellular level, it's crazy. Pharmaceutical management of type 1 diabetes and gestational diabetes can be these drugs, metformin, insulin, sulfonylureas. Um, obviously, if you have developed type gestational diabetes, then you need to speak to your health professional about these drugs. They have all different places to use in, in diabetes management. Um, I could not find any relevant research or clinical trials that have been performed on the safety of the use of them in regard to the babies that are born. You know, there's no clinical trials to say what happens to these babies in the first five or 10 years of life that I've been able to find. So we're unsure whether or not these drugs have any impact on your baby. And if you consider in your pregnancy that you don't now we know that we shouldn't smoke and we shouldn't have alcohol and we even have to stay away from certain food like soft cheeses then why would you put a pharmaceutical drug into your body it's much easier to uh, look after yourself and eat real food so if you have developed gestational diabetes your medical practitioner is the best one to speak to about whether or not you should have some pharmaceutical management. Dangers of gestational diabetes are preeclampsia. The Mayo Clinic will tell you that preeclampsia is the precursor for high blood pressure, excess protein in your urine, sudden weight gain and swelling. So later in your pregnancy, you might notice that your ankles swell, that you have a little pillow top on the tops of your feet, that your fingers, you can't put your rings on anymore and your face might swell. Um, all of a sudden and those are signs of preeclampsia and the outcome of preeclampsia that's not managed well is a possible early delivery which is usually ends up in a c-section and in 2019 36% of Australians uh, were subject to c-sections and don't get me wrong c-sections have their place I have had one of my beautiful grandbabies born virus c-section and we're really thankful that we have that baby in our lives and that the mum is fine and that mum went on to have a wonderful natural delivery so c-sections definitely do have their place and I wouldn't at all um, discount discount them if that's the way the, the, the pregnancy ends up. Gestational diabetes the dangers are kidney function um, because you your placenta 
puts out a certain protein in your pregnancy, your kidneys rely on these proteins. And during preeclampsia, the protein that your placenta uh, produces changes and your kidney is upset at that change. It likes, it likes everything to be the way that it was. So we have kidney function issues, which then cause toxins to build up in your body. And it's at that point when you need to see a medical professional, they will probably tell you to rest in bed. They might put you in hospital, which is not really ideal if you've got a toddler in the midst that you also need to look at. And you are at a higher risk of an early delivery or an induced labor, which I know at 39 weeks or 41 weeks, you are ready for that induced labor. But history and experience tells me that it's better to wait to, for that baby to be born at the right time when it's due. The tests we have for gestational diabetes are HbA1c, which is 95% effective or 95% accurate. And the way the HbA1c works is magically you have a blood test, a fasting blood test, and your doctor sends your blood off to the lab and the lab extracts from that blood test your red blood cells. So red blood cells have an important job. They only live for three months in your body and they like to live on sugar. So I'm not sure how they do it, but the pathologist will tell you how much sugar you have in your blood, what your average intake has been for the last three months uh, relative to the, the sugar on your red blood cells. So it's pretty crazy. As I've said, it's very effective, very accurate. And it's best to do this test in the first blood test that you have in your pregnancy. So when you go for your rubella screening, when you go for your iron count screening, it's great if you can ask your doctor to just check your HbA1c. Um, because later in pregnancy, it's not as effective. Your red blood cells are turning over much, much faster and you, your blood is much more dilute, so it's not as accurate as it is in the first trimester of your pregnancy. Um, and I would suggest if you have any sign of uh, a higher than average body composition, or if you're a person that loves your chocolates and your pastries, which are lovely but not helpful, it's, it would be a good idea to have this test done in the, in the early part of your pregnancy, because then you can um, tailor the rest of your pregnancy to stop you developing gestational diabetes. Glucose tolerance tests, I hear lots of complaints about young mums having to drink this glucosey, sugary substance. So you have, a, you have a fasting capillary blood glucose of less than five millimoles. That's what the, uh, the optimal level is. And you can see that that number has already changed from 5.1 to five. So the average is there. One hour after you've drunk your drink, um, your blood glucose needs to be lower than 7.4 and two hours after lower than 6.7. So there's a lot of um, uh, hesitance for mums to take this glucose tolerance test, firstly because of the taste, secondly because the drink is full of colours and additives and mums don't really care to put those things into their body. And thirdly, if you have been eating a low carbohydrate diet and you all of a sudden you drink a big drink of sugar, it's going to give you a spike and it possibly will give you a, a higher than, than normal 
blood glucose reading for you. So weight gain in pregnancy is amazing, really. I mean, who knows what the right amount of weight to put on is for you, for your body. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it begins on the day that you become pregnant, how your body composition is. If you know that you've got a few extra pounds or kilos around your hips or on your waist or anywhere on your body, then it's a good idea to be careful of how much sugar or how much body weight you put on. And if you've spoken to your doctor already about your HbA1c and you know that you're in a normal range of blood glucose for you, then it's fine to gain that 12 kilos. But if you're on the upper end of the sugar scale, you really need to watch how much sugar and carbohydrates that you eat because it will determine your likelihood to develop gestational diabetes at the end of the day. So you can see that the baby takes up a fair amount of that weight and the maternal fat store takes up a fair amount of that weight too. So you, you will know it's common sense to you whether or not you need to change or look at your diet. I think for mothers, it's a great time. Pregnancy is a great time to have a health reset and have some tests done to see how you're traveling. Because when we look at the pandemic of gestational diabetes, type 2 diabetes in the world today, hyperinsulinia, it's not unlikely that everyone should have a health check. And for mums, we have that golden opportunity at this point in your life to do that. And the dad should join in and have this, the same health screen. It'll be good for everyone. So what should you eat in pregnancy? Carbohydrates are the one food that we have to watch because that will spike your blood. And carbohydrates, we generally think of things like white bread, processed food, crackers, rice cakes, pasta, rice, uh, white potatoes, any root vegetable that's grown under the ground, which is sweet potato, carrots, beetroots, they're all carbohydrates, but you can also get carbohydrates from your vegetables. Um, so all vegetables have a carbohydrate load. And if you wish to Google that, you can have a look. But generally, if you've got issues with your blood glucose, then you need to be careful about what carbohydrates you choose to eat. Um, I always think that everyone as just a learning curve should test their blood glucose after they eat food to see what it does to them. I've just recently been wearing a continuous glucose meter and I found for me that stress really drives my blood sugar up. Um, so I have to be careful not to stress myself during the day and that really surprised me because I wasn't expecting that to happen. So carbohydrates are things that you should limit. Protein is your friend. Protein is your building blocks. It, it uh, builds your muscles, it builds your baby. You don't want to build a sugar baby. You want to build a baby that has good levels of protein. And protein is eggs, it's fish, it's salmon, it's chicken breast, it's uh, chicken drumsticks, it's chicken wings, it's meat. You can get some protein from nuts as well and dairy products that are not coated in sugar. So I'm talking Greek yogurt, full fat milk. If you can't drink milk, then almond milk or any of the other milks or the nut milks are good to use as well. Fats, 
the healthy fats, we all should know this by now, is olive oil, coconut oil, avocado, nuts as well make a great play here. So nuts are a good healthy, healthy snack uh, if you're hungry during the day. Fats are more satiating and also your skin loves them. So fats are fantastic for your skin, for the stretchability of your belly, um, for the health of your baby, for the health of your heart. Fats are a good all-round source of um, food for you. They're great. Exercise in pregnancy is important for mental health. So if you're feeling a bit down or you need some time out, you can always take a short walk. And if you're able to walk more than 10, 10 minutes, walk 10 minutes, start walking 10 minutes, then stretch it to 20 minutes, then stretch it to 30 minutes because it will build up lung capacity, which you will need for your marathon uh, delivery day. At the end of the day, you need all the help on board that you can get. Exercise in pregnancy will also lower blood sugar, so it will help you to uh, keep your body well and keep your body healthy. It also addresses pelvic floor because we need to look after our pelvic floor both during pregnancy and after pregnancy. And there are many, many websites you can look at to get information on pelvic floor strengthening exercises. I know when I was having my babies in hospital, uh, we were given a little booklet to take home uh, that encouraged us to uh, make sure we looked after our pelvic floor. Any physiotherapist you see will say, look after your pelvic floor. In different parts of your pregnancy, in the different trimesters, you'll feel like doing different types of exercise. So the first trimester, you might feel a little bit sickly and a little bit tired. I know for me, when I was growing babies, the first sign of pregnancy was absolute, absolute tiredness, like really, really tired. Um, so for the first six to 12 weeks, you might not feel like doing much. But if you have been following an exercise routine, it's, there's no reason why you can't do that. And with your doctor's advice, he will tell you whether or not some of the things you want to do is um, beneficial. And your healthcare worker, your midwife will be able to tell you what kind of pregnancy is good for you. In the second trimester, it's important not to lay on your back so much like this young lady here is laying down on her back because your baby will squash that main artery in your in your midriff that transports nutrients of goodness from one end of your body to the other. So you might feel a little bit lightheaded and it's important to take note of that because you should sit up and not, not lay down for, for, you know, more than a minute or two minutes because you will feel lightheaded and a bit sickly and it's your body telling you to sit up and take that weight off your midriff. You won't, it won't feel comfortable anyway to lay on your back, so you won't stay there too long. In the third trimester, it's important to keep walking and you can exercise as long as you can keep a conversation. As long as you can speak without puffing, you're working at the right level for you. Um, good types of exercise is Pilates because I'm a Pilates instructor. So I know how beneficial that has been for me and many women that come to my classes. It's excellent. And Pilates for pregnancy can be done with fit balls and 
uh, different different uh, equipment to take the stress off your belly. You can swim if you like swimming, but some women don't like to swim in indoor pools because of the chlorine content. So you might want to be cautious of that. And also be mindful in pregnancy that you do have a fantastically useful hormone called relaxin. And relaxin's job is to do just what it says. It's to relax your muscles, relax that birth canal, relax your ligaments. So when uh, you are ready to launch into the delivery of your child, your body is prepared and relaxed, ready to go with you. It's amazing. Postnatal care is important and glucose measurement shouldn't be stopped if you've had a gestational diabetes um, diagnosis or a hyperinsulinemia diagnosis. It's important and it's a good idea to keep checking those glucose levels and make sure that you've learnt how to look after your body through your pregnancy. It's a great time to learn about what food does to you. Exercise is important as well, but I wouldn't go running a marathon. I would use exercise just to have a bit of me time in the day. You might get 15 or 20 minutes where you can go outside and walk in nature or sit in the sun. And always be mindful of looking after your pelvic floor. Um, be gentle, be kind to yourself, look after your mental health, make sure you're getting some support. I know some cultures don't let the mums go out of the home for the first month. And I know when I see young mums at the shop with their baby, I think to myself, oh, how can you be at the shop so soon? You know, take your baby home where you can rest and be there to keep your milk supply up and look after your baby the best that you can. So the summit special I have for you is that I'm offering a one-on-one -on -one 30 minute free chat. And I'm sure that Tracy has put my landing page in the show notes and you will see a, a link there to sign up for a 30 minute free chat. And during that time, we can discuss all things pregnancy. We can talk about food for you. We can talk about exercising for you and how uh, you can best plan your food list for your journey and you can find out what food does for you. I really hope that you take up that opportunity because I would really love to speak to you. Being the nerd that I am, the science person, I had to put up my reference list at the end. So these are some of the people that I have found useful, especially Ben Bickman. He's a great guy to listen to um, on YouTube and Lily Nichols is another fantastic specialist in gestational diabetes. You can find her books and read them. They're wonderful. So full of so full of knowledge. So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time out to spend with me. Um, I want to just remind you to enjoy the time you have of becoming a mother and a father of the parenting journey. Work together as a team and you'll be fine. Your baby will be wonderful and you'll grow your family with lots of love and education. And it's a time for self-discovery, self-care and excitement. So looking forward to hearing from you and yeah, send me an email or give me a call. Thank you. Bye-bye.